When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Mark Brown. I'm on vacation right now, so instead of your regular Good Morning Birdland, there will be a couple more episodes talking about things that are not impacted by the current fortune of the 2023 Orioles. So however awesome or terrible it's gotten since I recorded this on July the 25th, if the Orioles have won six games in a row or lost six games in a row, if they've traded for Dylan Cease or Marcus Stroman or Will Bednar or no one else beyond Shintaro Fujinami, the mark of this recording knows nothing about it. Sorry. If you need to freak out about whatever's going on with the Orioles, go to CamdenChat.com and our staff will surely have you covered. Today, I'm going to be looking at Mike Elias's draft classes so far, or at least the ones before this season, and how they've already contributed to either the MLB team or to the growth of the Orioles' farm system. Of course, depending on how things have gone between my recording this and your hearing this, some of the prospects being discussed may have even been traded to help the Orioles this year. Uh, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. I, It feels inevitable that somebody must be traded. And, you know, when I get back, we can certainly talk about that. But let's dig right into the 2019 draft, whether it's, you know, the Orioles kind of got their one last gift from things falling apart under the Dan Duquette regime was that the number one pick in the 2019 draft carried over from 2018 really being horrible. And, you know, in retrospect, it's very fortunate that the Orioles uh, went into the tank at the time they did and came out of it at the time they did, because now, under current rules, you're no longer guaranteed the number one pick for having the worst record. And in fact, having the worst record, I believe you only have a 50-50 shot of getting in the top three picks. So good job, Orioles, whether it was by design entirely or not, uh, improving in time for that. But yeah, number one pick, Mike Elias came into that draft with several picks worth of history with the Houston Astros, where he had a whole lot of influence in the draft, um, making the number one pick. And that history was that one year, they really, really nailed it, which was when they chose Carlos Correa, number one in 2012, which was kind of a surprise. And then there were two years where the pick was pretty much a bust. Uh, Mark Appel in 2013 only got a handful of big league appearances nearly a decade later. And in 2014, they picked Brady Aiken, who they didn't end up even signing. So... We all kind of have assumed from that that Elias has been reluctant to use high picks on pitchers, as indeed he has not used a first-rounder on a pitcher as an Oriole or even a second-rounder as the Orioles GM. So the big question, what was he going to do with his first number one pick? Well, you know, Adley Rutschman and Bobby Witt Jr. seem to basically be thought to be the top two picks for the entirety of the draft season, going all the way back to like the day after the 2018 draft when the real prospect obsessive started writing there, okay, who's going to be the contenders for top, you know, the top pick or top five picks for next year articles. Those pretty much all had 
Rutschman and Witt nailed like the day after the 2018 draft was over with. And neither one of those players did anything to knock themselves off that perch. You know, it ended up being that was the number one, number two picks in that draft. So good job for them, uh, keeping their prospects stock alive. I spent some time remembering uh, the several years ago, really two decades ago now, the in the, in, in the NFL, there was uh, a tanking effort that became known as Suck for Luck, which was teams trying to be bad, or maybe not trying to be bad, but just were bad, for quarterback Andrew Luck, who would be the number one pick. And he went on to a pretty nice NFL career. I guess not as great as some, but so... I always like the idea of the tanking slogan. When the Orioles were bad, I would come up with tanking slogans. And, you know, for Adley Rutschman, I feel the slogan was badly for Adley. They did play very badly in 2018, and that's how it worked out. But as for the 2019 draft, would there be a Carlos Correa surprise? No. Everybody thought Adley Rutschman was the number one prospect in the draft class. The Orioles had the number one pick, and they took Adley Rutschman with the number one pick. And... Nothing has happened to make that look like a bad idea. In fact, it has really kind of exceeded probably even your wildest hopes, given what it could have done. Sometimes uh, the number one pick does not turn out to be worth it, strictly speaking. But Rutschman, an 802 OPS through his first 208 MLB games, he's already accumulated 7.5 baseball reference wins above replacement, although... That is not actually the top in his draft class so far, as Blue Jay Alec Manoa started this season with 8.9 war, although he's heading the other direction uh, so far this season, dropping a negative 1.1 to bring him down to 7.8 as of this recording. So I don't care about that. I mean, good job for Manoa. Um, Since he's on the Blue Jays, I hope he keeps going in the negatives. You know, Rutschman... You couldn't, you really couldn't hope for anything better with him other than maybe that he was having more success throwing out runners in 2023. I don't know why that's going wrong. Maybe uh, the adjustment of bigger bases and the pitch clock and the limited disengagement collectively is putting more weight on his throwing arm that it maybe can't bear. Um, you know, it could be the way that pitchers are responding to all that and the way runners are responding to all that have negated whatever um, advantage Rutschman had under the previous rules last year. I don't know. We will see what shakes out with that, but I'm not worried. You know, if that's the only downside about his game, then we're not doing too bad, right? I mean, really, the only thing there is to regret with Rutschman is that his 2022 spring training injury kept him off the opening day roster, which probably was enough to keep him from winning the American League Rookie of the Year award last year and the Orioles getting a bonus draft pick that instead went to the Mariners, who had their uh, opening day debuting rookie, Julio Rodriguez, win the Rookie of the Year, and then the Mariners got the pick. Second round pick, of course, is also looking pretty good as that was Gunnar Henderson. And, you know, I'm going to name the two picks before Henderson and the two picks after him. Okay, here you go. Seth Johnson, David Wenzel, Cam Cannon, and Brady McConnell. 
And those are all college players. And between all of them, four years plus after the draft, they have zero Major League Baseball games. And it looks like I don't think any of them are really on the track to make it. Of course, Johnson has since been traded to the Orioles. Maybe once he uh, rehabs from his Tommy John, he'll get in that mix. I don't know. But Michael Elias saw the talent potential in Henderson. He got him into the system, turned him into the number one prospect in the game before having him debut. He's already put together a 3.8 war in his career, an 8.10 OPS through his first 123 Major League games. To my eye, he's putting together better defense at shortstop than third base up to this point, mostly because he makes better throws from shortstop. Um, We'll see how that shakes out, of course, since it looks like Jackson Holiday, who we talk about, we'll talk about a bit later in this episode, is uh, heading towards being the Orioles' shortstop of the future. I think Henderson looks a whole lot like a rookie of the year contender who would potentially get the Orioles a draft pick this year. Although he's going to have to pass Texas's Josh Young, who ended up with an All-Star bid and is also going to get the boost of, okay, he's been pretty good on a uh, postseason team, which it sure looks like both Texas and the Orioles will be. A few other picks in that draft. They took Kyle Stowers in competitive balance round B. That was one of three Stanford players chosen in the top 11 rounds by the Orioles in that draft. We got kind of excited to see him debut, but it seems like the Orioles were not as excited as fans were. And so he's only put together a 598 OPS in only 48 games I don't really know what the Orioles' objection to Stowers is. I mean, other than at the moment, he's not better than any of uh, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, or Cedric Mullins, so they didn't need to try and squeeze him in there. He doesn't seem to be one of the team's most favored prospects. Maybe we'll see him traded for that reason. The fourth-round pick, Joey Ortiz, honestly kind of getting the same treatment, although it's been playing out over less time. Uh, He only got 15 games with the big league team, You know, I'd rather see him than Jorge Mateo right now. I don't really know what the Orioles need to see to change their mind. Um, Ortiz, of course, played his way into a top 100 prospect kind of stock, but the team just doesn't seem to be viewing him that way. So again, question of, is he going to be trade bait? As the Orioles' fifth-round pick in that draft, Darrell Ernais, already was traded for Cole Irvin, which, yeah, that's time for a sigh. (sighs) It feels like Ernais is probably destined for big league time, maybe next year, and that's because he's really ripping it up in Oakland minor league system so far, keeping in mind there are, I believe, some um, pretty serious offense-friendly parks and weather conditions, especially in the AAA uh, Pacific Coast League, but I think the AA, the West Coast teams use also, is somewhat in that range, but Ernais just 21 years old, uh, has an 878 OPS between AA and AAA in 80 games this year. That is pretty good. It's not that I think the Orioles are missing him, strictly speaking, since they have so many other infielders, but it would have been nice if they had him in their stable now to trade for someone better than Irvin up to this point has been. One more guy I'm just going to note was another one of those Stanford guys, six-rounder Maverick Maverick Handley. I thought maybe he could be a backup catcher, but the Orioles don't seem to have any interest in handing him that role. Handley probably was on the path to maybe be that this year, except then the Orioles decided, okay, they're going to trade for the veteran backup James McCann. They made waiver claims all through the offseason of guys like Mark Colesferry 
instead of uh, handing the job, the backup job to Hanley. So I don't know. Maybe we won't see him after all. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so moving on to 2020, the Orioles simply were not bad enough in the 2019 season to get the number one pick in this draft. They had to settle for number two. Heston Kerstad was their pick at number two, kind of a surprise swerve, especially compared to Austin Martin from Vanderbilt, who everyone assumed should be the number two pick in that draft. My retroactive tanking slogan, I didn't really expect Kerstad, but I think Coming up with one later, you could say Orioles were bad for Kerstad. But, you know, even with Kerstad's uh, health delaying his debut by two years, he looks like a better pick than Martin still and a number of the other players who the Orioles might have chosen. And, you know, after finally arriving in pro ball, he's done great. You can hardly complain. 16 home runs in 79 games between AA and AAA this year, a 978 combined on base plus slugging. There are fans who already want to see him in September, or really there's fans who want to see him right now. I think we're more likely to see him in September, much like the Orioles did with Gunnar Henderson last September, uh, where he needed to be added to the uh, 40-man roster before the Rule 5 draft anyway. I'm sorry, they weren't to that point with Henderson last year. He was just that good. But anyway, Kerstad, he will have to be added to the Rule 5 this year, so they might as well put him on the roster in September uh, finding space in the outfield mix is more of a question, but I am excited to see the left-handed power headed for Oriole Park at Camden Yards. You know, I, I think that's going to go pretty well, I hope. And whatever, uh, I mean, certainly it seems like Kerstad is going to keep conquering the minors. So really the question is, when will the Orioles decide enough is enough, which maybe is going to take until the offseason because they got to decide, okay, do we really want to commit to playing Anthony Santander and Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins until they're free agents. Santander is a free agent after next season. Hayes and Mullins have two more seasons after this. You know, that's a full outfield plus. Then there's Colton Kowser also in the mix. Somewhere, somebody's got to get traded. I don't know who it's going to be. What I do know is that the next pick the Orioles made after Kerstad was Jordan Westberg in the competitive balance round A, which is between the first and second round. He was a college performer, although like everyone, his 2020 spring was cut short due to the COVID pandemic. And in Westberg, the Orioles saw some power potential that he has ended up realizing pretty well. He had 27 home runs in the minor leagues last season, 18 home runs for Norfolk so far this year. Fans were clamoring for him, and here he is. He's been, I think, competitive so far in uh, his MLB at-bats. It's looked pretty good on defense at second base to me. The night before I'm recording this, he just hit his first major league home run. Westberg was also a top 100 prospect, and it seems like, for whatever reason, the team has given more hype to Westberg than to Joey Ortiz, which I feel like means they're more likely to be committed to Westberg rather than viewing him perhaps as trade bait. Some of the other players in that draft class, second rounder Hudson Haskin, I thought was tracking like a possible fourth outfielder type before this season, but he's only played 33 games and his season is over due to surgery for a hip impingement. Haskin and any of the other college players in this draft class would have to be added to the Rule 5 uh, or added to the 40-man roster before the coming winter's Rule 5 draft. 
I have a hard time seeing the Orioles add him with their outfield situation being what it is. Maybe some team will take a chance on him. Third round pick Anthony Servideo has been injury plagued. Not a whole lot to say about him, unfortunately. Same with fifth rounder Carter Baumler, also injury plagued. Maybe he still has a bit of potential, um, but he just he hasn't gotten to play. And that's, you know, it's tough. It's tough to be much of a prospect if you never get to play. Um, Baumler, of course, got some of the overslot money that the Orioles saved by taking Kerstad at the number two pick, along with fourth rounder Kobe Mayo, who I temporarily skipped over just because there's more awesome things to say about Mayo. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, I feel you're probably already engaged enough with the Orioles minors to be excited about Kobe Mayo. He was a top 100 prospect on, I think, nearly every list before the season began. He has ascended uh, even higher on many lists that have updated through the season. 18 home runs this year between AA and AAA. He had over 1,000 OPS for Bowie before getting promoted. He's only 21 years old. The only question is, what is his future defensive home? Although he's a third baseman right now, it seems like all the scouts believe he's destined for maybe right field if he can handle kind of the tracking down of line drives, etc., and catching fly balls. Uh, maybe first base if he can't do that. But the Orioles do not look like they have changed their mind about him being a third baseman. They haven't started having him play other positions, which they've had some of these other guys doing. And of course, Mayo, as you know, if you've been listening to this show, I enjoy that he has a great Baltimore accent name, Kobe Mayo. You really wouldn't be able to beat that. But again, that doesn't guarantee he's going to make it to the Orioles or that the Orioles will not have traded him by the time between the time I'm saying these words and when you get to listen to them. I don't know. But let's move on to the 2021 draft. It was a slight improvement in the short 2020 season, but the Orioles still picked at number five. And, you know, they went with another sort of swerve in that they went under slot to take Colton Kowser instead of several of the touted high school players in that draft class, who I think were Jordan Lawler, Brady House, and Khalil Watson. And, you know, they ended up not even going for like a power conference college player as they selected Kurt, uh, Kowser out of Sam Houston State. But the Orioles believed in the uh, plate discipline and contactability of Kerstad, and they drafted him and got him in. And, you know, my retroactive tanking slogan, again, I didn't really think about Kowser, but I think after the fact, you could say the Orioles were slightly less lousy for Kowser. There you go. Kowser has been showing power in the Orioles minors. He had 19 home runs last year, 10 home runs so far this year. He has not yet, as of this recording, hit one at the major league level, but he got the major league debut with a team hype package on social media, etc. after having a 996 OPS in 58 games for AAA Norfolk. Results haven't really been there at the major league level yet. I feel like he hasn't looked as natural in center field as maybe you might have thought considering he was a college center fielder. Um, he has had a lot of bad luck on batted balls. And let's keep in mind, both Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson had some early struggles in their career as well. So I'm certainly not on the train of demote Kowser to the minors already because he's got below a Mendoza line after like 12 games. Second round pick in that draft, Connor Norby, has also played its way onto many top 100 lists. That's because, in part, he led the Orioles minors with 29 home runs last season between high A, double A, and even triple A at the end there. Uh, not as many home runs this year, 13 homers through 89 games. He has been pretty good since the month of April. So 
if you exclude that, he looks much better. Um, you know, with Westberg and Norby's position, which is second base, does that make him trade bait? Does that mean they're going to shift him somewhere else to like left field or whatever? I don't know. What I do know is the Orioles here, we're now talking about three straight drafts where the second pick that the Orioles made look pretty darn good. Um, all eventually became top 100 prospects. Two of these are already on the major league team. And Norby looks like he's going to be on somebody's major league roster perhaps as soon as next month if he's traded. Um, although if you're listening to this, it's in August, so it could even be this month if he's been traded. And I think that's 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 a good sign for the Orioles that they're drafting well with their second round picks, I think. A few other guys from that draft class, they went over slot to get third rounder outfielder John Rhodes. He's had some good uh, good streaks of baseball with double A Bowie this year, but overall only a 766 OPS through 69 games there and really riding one great month in June. Another guy I think at the moment is worth talking about a little bit who also got some of the overslot money since they went under to sign Kowser was eighth rounder Creed Willems, who was a high school player the Orioles selected. Last year, he really stunk at low A Delmarva, and he repeated that level this year and earned a promotion to high A Aberdeen, where he has gone on to hit seven home runs in 37 games. And, you know, I think it would be fun if Willems turns into a prospect. I think that mostly it would be nice to have just a big beefy boy who is on the Orioles hitting dingers and they don't really have one right now. Creed Willems definitely uh, fits that archetype. We'll see if he can keep developing. He is still young. Uh, He was a high school draftee out of the 2021 draft class and he only turned 20 years old in June. So for him to be 20 at Aberdeen, he is still over two years younger than the average player there. So if he keeps, uh, if he keeps it up, That'll be pretty fun. The results are not there, I don't think, for him to get promoted to Bowie immediately. But if he has a hot streak to end the season, maybe he'll start uh, next season there as well. Okay, so let's swing through the 2022 draft class as well. Since the Orioles were once again the worst team in Major League Baseball in the 2021 season, that gave them a chance at the top of the draft. And they had their choice of Drew Jones, the son of former MLBer, Andrew Jones, they had Termar Johnson, they had Jackson Holiday, the son of Matt Holiday, a few others who were reported to be in the mix, but I feel like those were the three guys who were mostly expected the Orioles would take one of them. It wasn't a total surprise that they took Holiday. I think the scouting industrial complex all convinced themselves that Jones was better than Holiday, but the Orioles decided Holiday would be better, and you know, that choice could hardly have worked out better up to this point. I guess you could put a tanking slogan of that and say the Orioles were whacked for Jackson. I don't know. What I do know is that Jackson Holiday dominated Delmarva, dominated Aberdeen, OPS of 914 through nine Bowie games. He's still just 19 years old. He's already ascended to many prospect lists, number one prospect in the game. After he was drafted, he said he had his own personal goal to make the major leagues within two years of being drafted. And in terms of talent and performance, it seems like he is capable of reaching that goal. And it's really going to be more about uh, when the Orioles decide to make room for him, unless he runs into, you know, problems at AAA. But he showed no signs of slowing down so far as even when 
he wasn't hitting as well with Aberdeen. He was still walking a ton and showing very good plate discipline. And that's pretty darn good. So Holiday, obviously, we're all very excited for him. Other picks in the draft, I think maybe we're still waiting to see if some of the guys from last year's draft can build themselves into top 100 level prospects in the way that Ortiz and Norby and Westberg, for instance, have done. Um, in the competitive balance round A, the Orioles selected Dylan Beavers, an outfielder. He's got an A10 OPS for Aberdeen. Not bad. Obviously, that's not as overwhelmingly good as some of the guys who've gotten midseason promotions. Beavers has stolen 18 bases so far this season, so that's not a bad display of speed. Their second-round pick, Max Wagner, supposed to have some big power. Uh, He's only hit nine home runs so far, and that's a demonstration of the difference between what the scouting world calls raw power, which is what you will tend to see in batting practice environments, and game power, which is, you know, actually hitting fastballs and breaking balls and change-ups, etc., hard and over the fence. So if Wagner starts having the game power to match his raw power, that will be pretty interesting, and he will probably make it yet another Orioles second-round pick to play his way into top 100 prospect status. But for now, he's not quite there. One guy who's maybe a little closer is their competitive round B pick that the Orioles got when they traded uh, Tanner Scott and Cole Sulcer to the Marlins last year. Judd Fabian, he's already been promoted to Bowie, although that's because he's 23 next month. He was a little older, and I think that's one reason why they promoted him sooner. He's hit six home runs through 24 games for AA Bowie already. Pretty darn good, although that only comes with a 174 batting average. Obviously, he's going to need to improve that. He has stolen 24 bases between Aberdeen and Bowie this year. Pretty good. One last guy for now from that draft class, 11th round pick. Zach Showalter, a pitcher. The Orioles gave him a modest overslot bonus, $440,000 in the 11th round. And he is young, so he's only just recently hit low A Delmarva. And there he has struck out 20 batters in 17 and the third innings. Not a bad start to your full season affiliate career. A long way to go between uh, that and making it to the majors, of course. But, you know, the Orioles need to find some pitching prospects from somewhere. So, if their modest overslot 11th round high school pick turns into a prospect, that'll be a wild success. Okay, 2023 draft is too recent. These guys have barely even started their pro careers, so not much to say about them. So let's just look at the overall pattern. Um, the Orioles are really nailing their first round picks so far. Their second round picks from 2019 to 2021 have all done very well so far. They've gotten some success in the third to fifth round as well. Joey Ortiz, Darrell Ernais, Kobe Mayo all look interesting in those rounds. Um, They have not really hit on any picks that are beyond that level yet. In the vein of, say, Cedric Mullins was a former 13th round pick or Trey Mancini was an eighth round pick. Although there are still some players who could develop like Creed Willems, who we talked about a little bit earlier. But I think the key going forward is going to be continuing to hit on first-round picks once the Orioles are picking in the mid or late first round. And, you know, they were already down in the teens, uh, the low teens even, after their performance last season, and they got Enrique Bradfield Jr. Looks like a nice pick so far, but of course, there's no pro track record yet, so we don't know what's going to end up happening with that. Um if they continue nailing the second round picks, that's also going to be pretty great. But 
you know, that's that's going to be harder, too, when they're picking in the middle of the second round versus when they're always picking in the top of the second round. So what are they going to do? Hopefully they're going to keep drafting well because that's going to be the best way to have a continually uh, good Orioles team instead of having one that is pretty good for a few years and not too good for a couple years in the middle there, and then they fall apart abruptly, which is ultimately the story of the 2012 to 2018 Orioles you know, it would be nice to have a story of Michael Elias, good Orioles that goes beyond uh, just, f- you know, really just three good seasons or really two great seasons and one kind of good one in 2016. Will that happen? I don't know. I certainly hope it will. I will be back next time. The next episode will be another special episode on August the 4th. And I will be sharing some of the random favorite Orioles games that listeners and Camden Chat readers wrote in about. And the next regular episode after my vacation will be posting on August the 8th. Hopefully there will be a whole lot of awesome Orioles news, maybe even a fun trade or two to talk about between now and then. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.